As the, the kids saw up there, kids are dismissed, um, just to let you know, they're going to be listening downstairs. Uh, there's some of the workers down there. Um, we've been, we do this occasionally, have them listen to the sermon, practice taking notes and things like that, and, and asking some questions afterwards. So um, welcome kids downstairs. I'm looking at them, by the way, as I'm saying that. But uh, I'm, we're just, uh, I'm excited to be here and to, to share with you this morning. Um, the verse that the 91 chapter 91 of Psalms that was was read at the the beginning is the fighter verses that we've been doing um, up until this week, and some of you may be familiar. You may be in the have been in the classes and you've heard what a, what pinions are and what a buckler is. I just want to clarify if, if you don't know what those are. Pinions are feathers, the feathers of a bird um, used to to protect uh, her her baby birds. And a buckler is, there's a lot of different definitions of it, but in, in one sense, it's a small shield used in sword fighting, sword play, and things like that. So, but that idea of God being a protector and God being the place that we can go to. And as we've sung throughout this morning, um, he is worthy of praise. And he is the God that we need to trust in, that we need to hope in. Thinking about if you were in class this morning, the verses for this morning are Psalm 91 verses 5 and 6. I want to read those verses because I think they have context with last night for us. You will not fear the terror of the night. Thank you, brave souls who made it out after the storm last night. I don't know if you had electricity go out or you had trees fall down, things like that uh, happen. But uh, uh, that was a good reminder this morning. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day. And so in thinking about that verse and in thinking about 91, 1 through 4, and that idea that uh, we need to trust in God day and night, all of the time. So in thinking about that, we, the, the message that I have uh, for the, you this morning is Philippians, it's from Philippians 4, 8 through 9. So you can open your Bibles now, and we're going to be in Philippians for, I believe, the whole message. I might be going to some different uh, parts of it, but Philippians 4, 8 through 9 and this is a one-week spinoff of our current study. And I have three questions that I want to ask you. I talked with Pastor Brett last night about possibly having him come up and like walk the aisles to see if you could write the correct answers down on your papers. Um, and then he would scorn you if you had the wrong ones. We decided that was not the best way to do this. But I have three questions for you. I want everyone to say them out loud. So hopefully some people will know what the answers are. Pastor Brett has been leading us through a study. I'm going to make sure it's not up on the screen. Uh, Pastor Brett has been leading us through a study of what New Testament book? Everyone. What chapter are we currently in? Not as strong on that one, but, but, but some people had it. Chapter 16. Chapter 16. What city does this part of the narrative take place in? Do you remember what city he's in? Philip, oh, good. Pastor Brett got it. <laughs> good job. At least he knows where he's at. So um, we, what, what city does this part of the narrative take place in? Philippi. What book am I having you turn to? Philippians. If you were thinking about this as like, a, like TV shows and things like this, this might be entitled Philippians, an Acts story. So we're looking at a specific city in the book of Acts that Paul was at. And so what I want to do is I'd, I'd like to read this, uh, this passage for us. It's a familiar one, 
and uh, um, you have it there, so um, in front of you, and it's up on the screen here. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. The book of Philippians is a letter that Paul wrote from prison in Rome or Ephesus to a church, Philippi, where he was years before put in prison. So do you, do you get it? He, he was, he's writing them from prison, writing this church where he was in prison in that city. He's writing them a letter from prison. In Acts 16, where we're at right now in our, our current study, around 49 AD or so, Uh, is a story of the beginning of the church in Philippi. And as we learned a couple of weeks ago, Paul was in prison, and what was he doing while he was in prison? Singing praise and worshiping God. And people saw what he was doing. Later, around 62 AD, Paul writes a letter to the Philippians from prison. The purpose of this prison letter is to encourage the believers to live for God and God's glory. Now, think about that as we look at this passage, as we look at some other contexts. They saw Paul, they witnessed how Paul experienced prison. And then he's writing them a letter later to encourage them, and he's writing it from prison. Paul's life is filled with hardship. And yet he's encouraging them to praise the Lord. And even at the end, he says, verse 9, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. Paul says, look at me. Look at me. And we're going to see what that means because that's not a confident boasting in himself, look at me. But it's more than that. So let's pray and uh, then we'll get into the passage. Lord God, thank you so much for your goodness and your grace. Thank you that we can look to you and seek you and desire you above everything else in this world. You are worthy, as we've been singing this morning, of the praise that we give you. You are more than worthy. God, I pray that this morning as we we look at this passage and as we think about uh, the work that you did in Paul, the words that he taught to the Philippians and the way you wanted them to live and the way that you want us to live will be clear. Lord, if there's anything that I may say that's a distraction, I pray that you would just help it to to pass to the side and that we would focus on the truth of you and your word. And God, I want to pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. As you think about this um, this idea of... uh, Paul saying, look at me. I want to begin the message with a very purposeful rabbit trail. Okay, so this might seem a little weird, but I did a little intro and then I'm going to go on a rabbit trail. But uh, you may have heard those things that I was saying at the beginning about the the Philippians and, and the book of Acts and those connections. And there may be some of you listening to this who are thinking to yourselves, duh, thank you very much for that basic knowledge that basic Bible lessons, there's a connection between Acts 16 and the book of Philippians. Everybody knows that. 
And then there may be others here who are thinking to themselves, huh, there's a connection between Acts 16 and the book of Philippians. I never thought of that or I never knew that. Church family. I've been reminded over and over again this year in Grand Rapids that there are many people that don't know the Bible as well as we think we do. And I mean that in the sense of we might not know it as much as we do, but there are also people that we communicate that don't know it as much as we, we do. We're blessed to be in a church where we hear it, where we learn it. But there may be people here today that don't even know things um, in the Bible that we assume are true. I'm so thankful for opportunities God gives me and has given me this past year to teach God's words where one of the first things I need to teach is there are 36 books in the Bible. There is a table of contents in the front of the Bible that tells you where the book of Philippians is. Now go to that page number and find the big number four and the little number eight. That's where we're at this morning. Doing Bible clubs and, and helping out with those things. You're, we're help, one of the big things is helping kids find passages in the Bible that we assume uh, we can find. I'm thankful for opportunities that God gives me to teach, the, uh, teach God's word where I cannot begin talking about an Old Testament uh, reference like Jonah in Matthew 12. And it was just this past week at uh, Mishawana with a statement like, you all know the story of Jonah. I'm so thankful for supported workers that we have around the world in the United States and here in Grand Rapids. Thinking about um, Rochelle with Bible clubs and Camp Mishawana and, and Rob with community kids, Rob Summerfield with community kids and just the opportunities that they have to, to minister kids and we come alongside and partner with them. At Mishawana this past week, I also learned about another ministry called Life Builders in Detroit. They bust over 40 kids to Camp Mishawana this, uh, this past week. Kids who don't know the Bible. A lot of hearing it for the first time uh, was there. I'm so thankful for our VBS workers who enthusiastically use so much energy uh, in a short period of time to teach the Bible and love the kids that God brings to us. By the way, if you still have a VBS t-shirt, be sure to turn that in soon, okay? Just, just, uh, I just had to make that little announcement there. But uh, um, I'm so thankful, and I, I am thankful for you, even if you didn't turn your shirt in, just so you're aware. I'm thankful for children's church workers and Awana workers and Sunday school teachers for both kids, teens, and adults who faithfully teach the Bible each week here at Trinity. And it's my prayer that this look at me passage, this message, would be an encouragement and a challenge to everyone in this room. But I also pray that each of you disciple makers that are involved in those ministries and so many other things outside of the church would know that I am and we all should be thankful for the ministries that you have to so many people. So think about that idea of that look at me message being about pointing people to God and the opportunities that we have formally here at this church, but also informally outside of the church as we connect with so many different people in so many different ways. So if we go back to um, the book of Acts and Philippians chapter, uh, chapter 4, Remember, Paul is writing this prison epistle from prison to a church in, in a city where he was in prison. The people in Philippi knew how Paul responded when he was in prison there. I don't know, when you're reading the Bible, I don't know if you sometimes have this kind of sanctified imagination where you're trying to visualize what's going on as you're, as you're reading the passage. But in my sanctified imagination, and like I said, this is imagination, this isn't 
I can't point verse reference here. I can imagine Paul's letter being read to the Philippians before them as a church. And there's a formerly demon-possessed girl responding with a smile as this list is being read. And she's thinking about an annoyed Paul telling that demon to get out of her. I'm thinking of the kids of a Roman jailer remembering that night that dad brought the writer of this letter home into their house for a meal and so much more than a meal. A time of praising God. I think of some women in the church getting teary-eyed as they remembered how Lydia had poured into them and taught them because she had received such an amazing gift that she had to share it with others. Church, as we think about this passage, allow it to stir your hearts. And I know we're in a Baptist church, so I want to caution here. Stir in your hearts. Getting emotional about something is, is good. Now, I don't want people up and down running the aisles and things like that now. So, calm down with your emotions in one sense. But, but at the same time, remember how God has brought people into your life. Uh, and you need to be thinking about how you live and what you think and how you talk to them. And doing that for God's glory. Consider how you need to hate sin, the, the sin that you so faithfully nurture day after day after day in your life. I want to encourage parents, go home and disciple your kids. I want to encourage each of us to go into your, your, your home and, and help one another grow. Go into your neighborhood and, and share the hope of Jesus Christ, not just in the choices you make, but also in the words that you say to others. Remember this week, um, as, we, as we look at Philippians 4, 8, and 9, and other parts of this book, Remember, this, finally, whatever is true, whatever is, uh, whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, praiseworthy, and excellent. This would make a, uh, you know, in one sense, the problem with this passage, this problem with what it is here, it's actually not a problem with the passage. It's a problem with our world. Uh, this list can be, in some ways, corrupted by our world. If you go ahead to the next one here. Whatever is your truth, whatever is celebrated, whatever is just, whatever is authentic, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, whatever is excellent. I mean, you, you think about it. You could take these things that are here. And in one sense, a, a lot of people would go, that's a good list. I like that list. But here's the thing that we need to remember. This Bible verse must be read in the context that it was written. It must be read with God and his glory in mind. This is not just celebrating your truth. It's not just celebrating, um, it's not just thinking about whatever celebrated, uh, whatever the world thinks is good. It's not just, in a, in a worldly sense, it's not just just injustice. It's not what is authentic. It's not just that which is lovely. It's more than that. And we're going to see what, what that, where that gets to. But as we think about this list and we think about the fact that it would make a great yard sign for a lot of people, we have to think about each and every one of these words in light of God's word and God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. So hopefully as we go through this passage and look at some things here, um, we'll help, I'll help clarify some of those things for you. But where in biblical history did the church 
um, in Philippi begin? It was in Acts chapter 16. You don't need to turn here, but here's the next couple of questions for you. I actually put them on there, so your quiz is done. So whatever you got out of those first three is your your quiz. I was going to ask you these next ones. But if you think about, on on, uh, June 27th, Pastor Brett preached from uh, Acts 16, 11 through 15. And there's a lot of things that were said in there, a lot, of, a lot of things. If you remember, that's the story of Lydia. And one of the things that he, he, he mentioned in the, the sermon was, give us the Lord and his word and not the culture we build around him. We want God. And that's, that's why he did things that might have not seemed like they were the best church growth strategy things. Because it was about God, and it wasn't just about the culture around them. Then if you look at the next one there, it says, um, uh, the, the following week, this was uh, July 3rd, um, 16 through 21, we cannot allow the gospel to become everything but the gospel. And if you remember where this story was taking place, this was the demon-possessed girl. And she was going around and she was talking about who God was, who, who, uh, who Jesus was. And Paul told her to stop and cast the demon out. And it was a whole, we brought up the idea of it's not just about talking about Jesus, but it's about the gospel and relying upon him. So we cannot allow the gospel to become everything but the gospel. And then uh, a couple of weeks ago, he was in uh, 16, 19 through 25, and Paul was in prison. If you remember those detailed um, descriptions of Paul in the, the stocks and all of those things, praising God is not dependent on your circumstances. So, Paul's ministry, Trinity's ministry, your ministry need to be about God and the gospel first and foremost. It's not the culture that we build around them. It's not the programs that we have here. It's about God and the gospel. It's not about everything else but the gospel. And it's not about our circumstances. We have to remember that it's about God and what God is doing. I want you to know, you have a ministry here. I, I mentioned the, the ministry of Philippi, uh, Paul's ministry, the ministry of Trinity, and I mentioned your ministry. I want you to know you have a ministry wherever you are. Wherever you are. After coming on staff here at Trinity, and I might have shared this before, but um, in, in September, people would ask me how it feels to get back into ministry. If they or if you ask that question, hopefully my answer wasn't... Um, like you go, I'm never going to ask him a question again. But one of the, one of the things that I would bring up was, I, I wanted to, to inform them. I pray that I was never out of ministry as a Christian. There wasn't like a, you're in ministry, you're not in a pastoral role, now you're out of ministry, now you get back into it. It's when you are a believer, when you have been saved, when you are a child of God, You are brought into a ministry of serving others, honoring God, and glorifying him. No matter where you're at. It's my prayer that our church would grow to understand that. Each and every one of you would grow to understand that more and more and more. You have a ministry wherever you're at. It's my prayer that our church would grow in its understanding of what ministry and serving is. Ministry is not just a committee. It's not just a church event on a calendar. It's a life lived for God's glory and the good of others. So, as we think about this, we need to realize um, that we need to be laser-focused on God. The Philippians saw this while Paul was in Philippi, as you think about this context. 
The next thing here, just real quick, um, as, as we look at the book of Philippians, and we're just going to go through these quickly. You can check the verses out yourself. But thinking about Philippians in light of the whole context of the book, this could be a big task, but I just want to make it, like I said, real quick. In thinking about the, in, in verses 3 and 5 in chapter 1, in thinking about the Philippian church, Paul is thankful and joyful because of their gospel partnership. Because of their ministry par- partnership, Paul is thankful and joyful. In 1, 12 through 14, Paul wants the Philippian church to know his suffering has advanced the gospel and emboldened others to share the gospel. And then he goes on in, in to, uh, chapter 2, verses 14 through 16, Paul tells the Philippian church to light up the world by living out the word of life, no matter what the circumstances. And he goes on in chapter 3, verse 1, Paul tells the Philippians to rejoice he tells them the same thing again in Philippians 4.4. 4. And if you know in Philippians 4.4, 4, how does he tell them to rejoice? Rejoice, and I will say it again. Rejoice. He tells them twice, and he tells them to do it always. And then in 3.12-14, uh, through 14, Paul tells the Philippians he is pressing on towards Christ's likeness because he is Christ. Christ owns him, and he wants more and more of Christ. It's constant, it's ongoing, and it's moving towards Christ and his image. And then Paul tells the Philippian church in verse 17, imitate me and those who are walking like me. In the letter to Philippians, leading up to this finally passage, Paul tells them, think about their, uh, Paul, Paul says to us and to them, think about their gospel partnership informs them his suffering is being used for the, the glory of the gospel. He tells them to live out the gospel no matter what the circumstances. He reminds them to rejoice. He encourages them to press on towards Christ. He commands them to imitate him and others like him. Paul was telling the Philippians to be laser-focused on God and the gospel. And he's telling us, be laser-focused on God and the gospel. The Philippians read this letter from Paul in prison. He's telling them all of these things from prison. And then if we look at the immediate context, just the verses right before 8 and 9 and the verses right after. 6 and 7. Do not be anxious about everything, anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ. And then 11 and 12 say, Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. He tells them in here, there's this peace of God that surpasses all understanding. um, And it will guard your hearts and your minds. And then he goes on, and he says in 11 and 12, I've learned to be content. And right there in the middle of it all is eight and nine. It's eight and nine. And so as we, uh, if you want to go ahead to the next slide there. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and have heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. This knowledge that surpasses all understanding, this peace of God and this contentment that he's learned, 
involves what Paul is thinking about, what he's reflecting upon, what he's thinking about all of the time. And this think about these things is not, hey, when you get a chance, think about these things. It's not um, after you're done uh, with whatever you're doing, if you've got a little bit of time left in the day, think on these things. It is fixing your thoughts on God. It is fixing your, your mind on these things. Whatever's true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, worthy of praise. Thinking about those things all of the time. You might go, I, I, I don't have that much bandwidth. I, you know, I can think about just one thing at a time. Here's what I want you to, to remember. Think about that one thing, whether it's work, school, um, concerns about family, in light of who God is and in light of this, these, these truths here that we need to remember. Think about those things through the, the lens of who God is and what he's done and what he is, wants us to think about. What are these things? I found the, the following in a commentary, and I love the last sentence. I, I, the last sentence in this statement is, 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 I just found it interesting in the sense of a scholarly commentary as you're reading. Um, it says, several commentators see these, the, the six groups of things listed in verse 8 as being the virtues which were highly regarded and sought after many, uh, by many in the Greco-Roman world. Such an identification would have the effect of making Paul appeal to Christians to live as good a life as the best pagans around them. Whereas the whole letter has been to commend what becomes the gospel of Christ, not the good life of philosophers. And then here's the last line. We can therefore set aside this thought as lame and an anticlimax. If you're looking at this list as this is what the world loves and what we need to do is these values of the world. We need to live up to those. That's lame. That You don't have a leg to stand on in that sense with um, your Christian walk. We are called as Christians to not just say, okay, the best of the world, I'm going to be that. What the world desires, I'm going to be that. These things, once again, these things are not just ideals of your fellow man, which were your ideals before you were converted. This list is meant to encourage us to go on to holy living and holy thinking. So, thinking about these, these things, I just want to go through a couple of things with these. Um, what are these things? This is, uh, Tim Chalice had, had these uh, in a list here, and it says, true is that which is in line with reality. It's what is true, 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 God true. Um, another uh, commentator wrote this. He said, whatever is true points to the cross of Christ where the truth is crucified and the deceitfulness of sin might be ended. But this is the, this is the life that God um, wants us to live according to him. That's, that's truth. I, I found this uh, this interesting point on the uh, uh, on the internet, which means it's true, right? Isn't that the, the the measure of truth if it's on the internet and a reliable site? As it's as it relates to true, do you know the significance of September 2019? Does anybody know the significance of that date? And I, I would bet no one does, or at least the point here. 
for the first time in over 360 years, according to scientists, compasses pointed to true north. Just with the way the earth lines up in compasses. They actually, they're, true north and magnetic north are two different things. They're just they're slightly off. But there is a true north that is on the globe and it's at a point. And that is the true that that idea is the true that we need to focus on. True. God's truth. Not your truth, not my truth, not the truth of the world, but truth. God, what, what God says. True is that which lines up with reality and the, the way that God created things. This idea of honorable, honorable is serious, respectable, dignified. Um, uh, just another thing from, from uh, this commentator, Hussinger, where he kind of takes things and points them to, to Christ, each of these things. He says, whatever is honorable points to the divine glory that is despised and rejected on the cross, that those who are dishonorable might be made honorable by the Lord of glory who was crucified in shame for their sake. The ultimate example of honorable is Jesus Christ who came down holy and died on a cross in our place for our sin. Whatever is just um, is righteous in the eyes of God. Not just justice in the sense of the world and the changing times here, but it's what is right in the eyes of God. Pure is holy and free from any defect um, or blemish. It's not just good. I mean, if you think about this, this is the idea of pure. It's um, 100% pure. It's, it's God. It's the idea of holy and other. But we, we need to think about what is pure, what is holy. Think about the things of God. Whatever is lovely is pleasing and acceptable. Um, this, th- these, uh, these, this idea of whatever is lovely and commendable, those first four, they have like anchor points. This lovely and commendable um, is pleasing and acceptable. Um, commendable is worthy and kind and unlikely to give offense. A lot of times these same words are the words that are used to describe, uh, the lovely and commendable are words that are used to describe leaders. For example, like the passage in um, where they, they're talking about the qualifications of an elder being above reproach and things like that. Here's what I want to encourage you to think about. There is no one in this room um, that should look at that list uh, of characteristics of of like an elder or a deacon and you go I am thankful that I uh, cannot be an elder or a deacon because I am not pure I'm not holy I'm not above reproach the thing that we need to remember is each and every one of us man woman child we need to not look at the sense of I I, I can't go and I can't pursue um, you know these opportunities to lead, whether it's in um, specifically with elders and, and talking about godly men above reproach or deacons and serving or even serving in general in this church. There's this sense of it shouldn't be an excuse because you have sin in your life. Good, I don't have to serve. It should be something where you go, I want to be more and more holy. I want to pursue God so that I can be in those positions. I can serve the Lord. It's not a matter of, if you're, a, if you're a Christian, you should not be happy to sit back and just let your sin rule your life. 
as you think about this idea of, of lovely and commendable, I, I, th- I thought about this idea um, in the passage where Paul was in prison. And, and Pastor Brett brought this up, we talked about it a little bit on Sunday night, where the people were looking and they saw what Paul had in his life. And it was something that was interesting. And as Peter says in First Peter, um, giving the world a reason to ask for the hope that you have. Thinking about living in such a way that people look and they know that you're different. First Peter 2.12 says, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles commendable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. The one who should be praised um, in this, thinking about pointing to, to Christ, is the one who was disgraced and rejected so that those who are wretched scum might be lifted up with an award and honor that is not their own. We need to live like we have been, uh, or as we are as believers, we've been changed by God through Jesus Christ. And we need to pursue those, uh, these attributes and, and live a life that to the world is lovely and commendable. Now, if you think about this, uh, the idea, the, the last word there, um, the, the last two words there, um, well, not up there, in the, in the next one. Go ahead to the, the next slide there, I think. Um, the idea of whatever is the excellence and worthy of praise. The idea of the excellence in, in the Greek word is the idea of the Greek moralist. And it, it, to give value. And as I mentioned earlier, Paul takes this word and injects it with Christian thought. This idea of thinking about what is excellent. The world would have their idea of what excellence is. But we have such a better, greater idea of what excellence is. Because we have Christ. Paul's teaching throughout this letter and all of his writing, uh, this excellence is more than earthly good. It is earthly, uh, it is eternal and godly good. And then as we move from that continually thinking on things, and that's, a, that's a, uh, an important thing, thinking on these things, we go to that, the, the last part of the verse there, uh, the last part of the passage in verse 9, and we move from continually thinking about great and godly things to practicing them and doing them. When you have learned and received things, they come from outside of you. Paul learned how to be content. That was from God. Uh, it wasn't something that came from inside him. John MacArthur writes uh, that this learning is personal instruction and discipling. And the receiving is taking in God's word that was delivered to them. And the hearing part is what they've heard about Paul. So if you think about this, it's what Paul has been trying to teach them and, and help them to see and help them to live. It's about the word of God that he proclaimed to them. And it's about the testimony that they heard uh, about Paul from others. Paul tells them to live out the personal instructions and proclaimed word they had received from him. At church, you should hear God's word boldly and clearly preached and proclaimed, which we we hear here here at uh, at Trinity, with biblical counseling and certain classes and smaller groups and personal relationships. We also want to help people think and apply God's word to specific situations. So that's that idea of discipling um, and learning. The church uh, then and the church now um, here's testimonies of what God is doing. Um, as a matter of fact, Jason, Pastor Jason talked about all the different things going on on August 7th. I can't remember if he mentioned this or not. But on August 7th, during the Sunday school hour, we're going to hear the testimonies of those being baptized. 
Um, so you can come in here, the, all those being baptized that evening uh, down at the river will be uh, sharing their testimonies. And one of the things that we talked about as, as staff in uh, one of our meetings about that was it's so important for us to hear what God is doing in one another's lives. So we have those three parts of it here. Uh, as we think about this idea of, of being discipled and how to live out God's word and challenged by God's testimony, we come to the last thing that Paul says. Do what you have seen me do. Once again, Paul tells them to imitate him. And this is not a um, self-confident, I've done it all the right way kind of imitation. Think about it in this way. This is an imitate me as I grow in my trust of the Lord. This is an imitate me as I am imitating and following God. I don't want you to be like me. I want you to be like Christ. And I'm pursuing him. And I want to be more and more like him. This is an imitate me as I live out Psalm 91, 1 through 4. This is an imitate me as, as we run to the refuge and fortress of, the, of God, as we put our trust in him, as we uh, hide under the, the feathers of his wing, as we hide behind the shield that he's provided, as we realize we can't live this life in and of ourselves. We need God. And telling others, just as I can't do this life in and of myself, I need God, I need to trust in him, I need to trust in Jesus. I want you to do the same. I cannot live a God-glorifying life in my own strength. Imitate me as I find my strength in the Lord. And then as we think about this, uh, these things, as you think about these things and as you practice these things, here is your prize. Your prize is the God of peace. Your prize is you pursue God, as you pursue godliness, as you pursue Christ-likeness. Your prize is God, God himself. Your prize is not streets of gold. It's not mansions. It's not, uh, you know, all of these things that we sometimes think about more. But it's God. The peace of God in 4, 6, and 7 and the contentment in every situation from verses 11 and 12 is found in being with the God of peace. And how do we do that? How do we think about these things, this, this idea of whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. How do we go out of here and practice that? We practice that but with, and these are real basic things, and you know them. Personal time in, in the word personal time in prayer with, with God. We practice them in the sense of sharing with others what we're learning and how we're struggling with life and how we need to, to lean upon God more and more and more. We, take, we, we learn these things as we gather together as a church, as a, as a body, specifically here on Sunday, but other times too, and we sing praises and we gather around God's word in a, in a common way together. We do this as we look to him 
and not our circumstances. As you think about true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, worthy of praise, God himself is more than worthy of our praise. Do you have those songs that you run to, psalms that you run to, um, scripture passages that you, you, you go to to remind you of who God is over and over again? I want to encourage you. That's one of the reasons why we're doing the, the fighter verses this summer is the idea of memorizing God's word, hiding it in your heart so that you can recall it and, and come to know uh, uh, the truth of God's word no matter where, where you're at and what you're going through. As I think about this passage, I want you to understand this. And, and this is a little personal um, in the sense of, of just a way to, to conclude might be a little weird in one sense, but there are challenges that each and every one of us face. There are challenges, and, and just to speak personally, there are challenges I've faced this week, there are challenges I've faced this month, there are challenges that I've faced this year, there are challenges that I've faced the last five years. Church family, I want to encourage you, one of the best ways to think on those things, the whatever is noble, whatever is true, those things, is to come together with other people and help one another and remind one another to think on those things. We live in a world where there's a lot of hardships. There's a lot of things that aren't true. There's a lot of things that are deceitful. We need God And we need God's people to help us live the life that God intended. Church, as you you think about that, I pray that you would uh, remember that, that you would seek God and his word and his word through prayer and that you'd seek to talk to others about just helping you grow in your relationship with the Lord and thinking about these things. Let me pray. Lord God, I want to thank you so much for your goodness for your grace, and for all that we have in you. I want to pray that you would help us as a church family to understand that these verses are not just some good ways to live and think and go through life, but they're from you. They're how we are to live, to think, God, I want to pray that as we just, um, as we go through our day today, you'd help us to, to think on these things, to help others to think on these things. Pray that you'd help us in everything that we do all of the time to remember what a great and awesome God you are. And Lord, I just want to pray all of these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. One quick uh, announcement that I forgot to make at the beginning. If you are going to be helping out with that Bible club on Tuesday nights, I have some papers in the back to to help you with just guiding you through that. And if you are not going to be here helping us out Tuesday night, I'd encourage you to be praying for us as we minister God's word in that and help kids think about whatever is true and noble and all of those things. Have a good rest of the day. You are dismissed.